You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome to episode 70 of Distilling Theology. I'm your regular host, Blake Courtright, joined, as always, by my co-host, Justin Van Riper. What's going on, man? Happy Lord's Day. I am the irregular host. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Lord's Day was great. Uh, beautiful day. Beautiful, beautiful sermon this morning. Really um, edified and admonished uh, it, uh, at the service. It was great. Um, and the fellowship was awesome, as usual. And uh, it, was, it was a really interesting day. My son really picked up on a lot this morning. Mm. Um, you know, and, and at the end, we do our little benediction. And so he, he goes up immediately after the service and asks my dad, the pastor, of course, and uh, why why do we why do we do that at the end of every service? And so it was really cool to, you know, he's paying attention, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was uh, it was wonderful. How about you, dude? It was so good. We are going through Isaiah this week. Was Isaiah chapter forty nine, the servant of the Lord? And uh, so we're obviously getting into the servant songs of Isaiah. And like, bro, I'm so excited. Next week we're jumping into the suffering servant. And <laughs> Uh, I am not prepared for how awesome this is about to be. So really stoked about that. And yeah, thrilled tonight. We're going to announce the winner of our most recent giveaway at some point in the episode. So be sure to uh, stay tuned for that. Now, Justin, what's in our glass tonight? I'm very excited. We have an Amaro Lucano in our glass tonight. Oh, it smells delicious and smells very fresh um, and refreshing. It is a 56 proof for 28% ABV uh, beverage. It is a delicate balance of more than 30 herbs that mm. date back to 1894. That's impressive. Not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, tell me, tell me, I think you've used this before. Have you not? I have. So this, this liqueur, um, I discovered this when I was working at the speakeasy in Albany, New York. Um, as said, it's bottled from 1894, like same recipe as they used in 1894. Uh, it's been handed down from generation to generation. Uh, they say, enjoy it straight, cold or with ice, excellent as a base for cocktails. So um, some people might be familiar with the Black Manhattan cocktail, which is in place of sweet vermouth. Normally you have rye whiskey, bitters, and sweet vermouth. In place of sweet vermouth, you use Amaro Averna. Now, Averna has a bit of a cola flavor. Um, I do enjoy it, but I've actually really enjoyed using Amaro Lucano instead because I find it a bit... Uh, a bit more complex and a bit more interesting. So I actually used it in a cocktail called the Dante's Inferno, which uh, utilized mezcal um, and some habanero bitters that were called hellfire bitters, hence the the Dante uh, bit. And um, That's awesome. Sounds fire. <laughs> did I, it, literally, because I would light things on fire for that. I would smoke smoke pipe tobacco and, and fill the glass with that. And uh, the, the joke was, how many drops of hellfire bitters do you want? That's the circle of hell with a you know literary reference not a theological reference just for anyone who's about to you know cancel dt for heresy but <laughs> for heresy uh, yeah. but anyways no that sounds awesome so that's what's up what do you what do you uh 
What are you picking up on the nose there, Justin? Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, man. Dude, this is just... It seriously smells delicious. It's very uh, crisp smelling. There's like... It reminds me like you're walking through uh, a forest on a fresh spring day. You get pine, eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very herbaceous. Lavender. It's very herbaceous, and you get a you get a, a tinge of sweetness underneath there as well. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm but, getting the cola yeah. again. Yeah, it has a little bit of that, similar to Lucano, which is why I'll use it as a or so, sorry, similar to Amaro Averna. Which yeah. is why I'll use it as a substitute, but I prefer this one, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, this smells great. I'm excited. There's orange, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm definitely like the herbal, the floral notes, but there's also that like that bitter, uh, bitter herbs as well that are kind of holding down the fort. So it doesn't become candied like this. This doesn't smell like a sugary no. liqueur by any no. means. In very some ways, herbal and very fresh and very bright, but not. Not like over overly sweet. I'm trying to think, what other amaros have we tried on the show? We've had um, Campari, uh, Capoletti, Amaro Pasubio. Um, so, and then we've also had green chartreuse. And for me, this mm. this kind of pulls together some of those various elements. You have those uh, somewhat fruity notes. You have those earthy notes. You have those herbaceous notes. There's just a lot, and that's why I like to use it with nice spirits because in a cocktail. Um, it really complements a complex beverage. So like a nice mezcal with this uh, is is really wonderful. So yeah, Big I'm excited, fan. man. Let's let's jump in. I really want to taste this. Let's do it. Cheers. Oh, man. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is pleasant. There's almost like a like a quinine sort of bitterness, but yeah. not, not overtly bitter. It's like quinine bitterness, but then there's there's that like almost molassesy or mapley mm-hmm. sweetness, but it's mm-hmm. very subtle. This is doesn't drink like a bourbon by any means. No, 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 no. Um, but all. that's also cut through by that quinine bitterness. But there's also like a a pretty distinct nutmeggy or cinnamon. Like I was going to say, I'm also getting like a spearmint sort of freshness as well. Yeah, towards the back there. Mm-hmm. Very complex yeah. and mild. It's got a great mouthfeel. It's very like warming and comforting, but not mm-hmm. there's no heat, but it's like it's like a nice blanket. <laughs> you know who else has a nice blanket? <laughs> Shopdistillingtheology.com <laughs> for all your <laughs> This is professional podcasting, folks. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we pay for. We have the segues. Mm. Um uh, we, I mean, we don't actually have segues. If the patrons want to, you know, up the game, we can have actual yeah, segues. We can buy some segues. <laughs> I don't. I don't actually want a segue. Um, but yeah, dude, this stuff is great. And like pouring like four ounces of this on ice, yeah, in like the the late afternoon on a sa- on a on a sunny Saturday, absolutely. is so nice. Absolutely, yeah, man. Amaro is great. I can't stress that enough to everybody. Like, <laughs> if you if you've enjoyed like transitioning from like bourbons to smoky scotches you will enjoy the transition to Amaro. It it does take a moment because you and I are both very adapted to this now, but if yes. you're not used to this, um, this will taste pretty bitter to you because like for us, yep. the, the bitter notes are more subdued, much like smokiness, right? Like now we drink a Lagavulin 16 and we get all the meaty notes and, and fruit and all these other things. And the yeah, the first time I had Lagavulin, it was like a, it was like I was eating campfire coals. 
Yeah. Uh, and now it's it's very, very distinctly delicious. Mm. Amen, man. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and, and so same thing with the Maros, right? They start very bitter and tart and dry. And you're like, why would anyone drink these? Yeah. But then the more acquainted you become, uh, so really, the better they w- are. When I picture, when someone says, do you want to have a glass of wine? This is what I want. <laughs> I, I don't want a glass of red wine. I want this. <laughs> well, that's very fitting. In, in Italy, they would drink... Um, they would drink this after mm. dinner. Uh, mm. Your your amaros, your dark. And it, for those on Patreon, you can see just how dark. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna actually move one of my lights behind it so you can see. Like it's really opaque. It's really dark. Um, and that comes like from the same earth. color Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's so good. Well, Speaking I'm really excited. Delicious. Yeah, dude. This doctrine we're gonna get into tonight is complex and soothing, and we can sit with it for our whole lives and never really soak it all the way in. But there's enough that we can, in, in a brief introductory episode, we can start to kick it off. Obviously, we're still in theology proper. We're gonna be speaking again on the doctrine of God, but this time mm. in detail about, uh, well, at least an introduction to the doctrine of the Trinity. And with that, Justin, will you open us? in prayer from the Valley of Vision. Absolutely. We're definitely going to need it with this one. (laughs) Well, amen. Yes, Valley of Vision, page two, the Trinity. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, and eternal Spirit, I adore Thee as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons, for bringing sinners to Thy knowledge and to Thy kingdom. O Father, Thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, Thou hast loved me and assumed my nature, shed Thine own blood and washed away my sins, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, Thou hast loved me and entered my heart and planted there eternal life, revealed to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God, I bless Thee and praise Thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast given me to Jesus to be His sheep, jewel, portion. O Jesus, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast accepted, espoused, bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation and planted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, made me one with him forever. O Father, thou art enthroned to hear my prayers. O Jesus, thy hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, thou art willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply my words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. O triune God, who commandeth the universe, Thou hast commanded me to ask for those things that concern thy kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into the threefold name. Mm. Amen. Amen, man. So in case you all were were vague on what we're talking about tonight. Yeah. This is one of those doctrines that, of course, is probably one of the most singularly most attacked doctrines from those who would consider themselves Christians, but are in fact not. Um, it seems, for whatever reason, uh, that they love to attack the Trinity. Uh, particularly, they love to attack Christology, our Christology, and our understanding of who Christ is. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, this seems to be incredibly controversial, uh, despite the clarity and the, the obvious nature of it in Scripture. And so it's important that we go through 
and perhaps understand the history of it a little bit, um, understand what we believe as Christians, what we have always believed as Christians, and what the Bible teaches about the nature of our God. Mm. Excellent. Also, this is definitely going to be a multi-part episode because uh, oh, yeah. there's no way we're covering all this in, in one maybe, piece. But... Maybe there will be three parts. Oh, <laughs> oh Patrick, that's tritheism. <laughs> Not parts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Come on. So to get us started, um, you know, the prayer already outlined it, right? That we as Orthodox Christians confess one God eternally existing in three persons. Now, we're going to break down this a little bit. We've got confessions of faith. We've got creeds. Uh, I figured we could do this kind of rapid fire. So um, sure. this this Lord's Day earlier today, we actually confessed the Apostles' Creed as a church. Um, you know, Which we, we do. Have, yeah, we do that every Sunday. That's so good, man. Um, so I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed for us. Now, this is not written by by you know the 12 apostles, but it's called so because uh, the early Christians who wrote this creed summed up and distilled the doctrines that were handed to them by the apostles and their disciples, by those who were taught by the apostles. Um, so this is a very important, very ancient creed, and uh, I'll just read it for us here. Um, those of you that have an ESV with creeds and confessions, you can turn to the back. You can go to reformedstandards.com and pull it up. Uh, and this is where I have this version of the Apostles' Creed. The creed reads, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And a side note, Holy Catholic Church there is referring to the church Catholic as in universal, not the mm-hmm. Romish, Popish church, um, which we would you know, anathematize along with uh, the Reformed. But anyways, <laughs> side yeah. note. Uh, so, Justin, what stands out to you about this very ancient creed as it pertains to our doctrine tonight? Because one thing that, um, and I'll get into this more as we go through this doctrine over the, the coming weeks, um, I grew up denying the doctrine of the Trinity. And mm-hmm. it was only really through the study of Reformed theology and through recognizing this vast Christian tradition that I started to believe it. So, growing up, I would I would always go to the Apostles' Creed as a Unitarian and say— um, well, yeah, I can confess this. So what is it that's distinct in the Apostles' Creed, like from, from a, an Orthodox standpoint, why do we, you know, as, as Trinitarians, hold to the Apostles' Creed and, and still find it useful? Sure. So I, I like the Apostles' Creed for a couple different reasons. Um, number one, uh, if you read it at face value, it's pretty abundantly clear what it's speaking of as far as God being uh, three persons, right? Mm-hmm. And it describes... Uh, each person of the Trinity, uh, very simply, um, but it does so very carefully in such a way Mm -hmm. that it's talking about Jesus Christ not only being God's only Son, but also our Lord, right? right? Who was also (laughs) conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by man, but by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, which is important when we understand, which we'll talk about in Christology, but uh, one of the reasons why he doesn't have inherited sin (laughs) the way you and I do. Amen. Amen. but that he was crucified, dead, and buried. But he also 
uh, descended to the dead, and then he rose again uh, of his own power. But also, uh, if you read through scripture, we see that the Father raised the Son, the Holy Spirit raised the Son, the Son raised himself, um, because they are one God, uh, one essence. And then he ascends at the he- into heaven, right? And so he's he's in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's also acting as God uh, mm. through this whole thing. So there's no distinction here as though he's some other entity or some other uh, essence right. or some other created being, right? A created yes. being isn't um, our Lord. <laughs> Amen. So. Well, and that's a really good point, right? I would, I always used to read this because I could say, well, yeah, I believe, you know, what I believed would functionally fall under a form of Arianism or sure. what, and, and I'm stressing believed as in, I don't believe this anymore. Um, I hope not. You're a Presbyterian. Yeah. No, you know, full, full <laughs> surprise guys. Be booted in case, from church. In case you weren't clear, I'm, I'm, you know, confessional Presbyterian, but, um, but I would confess we this. Can all tell I said, well, by your shirts, Blake. That's it. That's it. Only the patrons will know. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Right? I could say that as a Unitarian and, mm. and or an Arian or a Socinian, if you want to get really, really specific into, or you know, I, I would call it neo socinianism um, sure. distinct from the Jehovah's Witnesses, distinct from some of these other uh, groups, and yet, and and also not a Universalist. I should I should stress that. You know, I'll, I'll talk more about this as we get into Christology because that was really the rub, right? And and actually, that drives us right into the next creed. Um, and obviously we're talking about the, the Constantinople version of the Nicene Creed, right? The, yes. the 381, uh, 8381. But what you know, the impetus for this was that Arius and his followers were confessing with the church that Jesus, the son of God, is, you know, of a similar substance to the father. He's similar. Right. You know, they, they have a similar substance. They're both, you know, but but he's distinguished in an ontological sense, in 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 the, the very essence of his being, you know, like we would say, you're a human being and I'm a human being, but we're two separate instances of a human being. Yeah. We each have a human nature. We each have identity. So we're both human beings. We're, we're the same kind of, we're the same yeah. class or nature of being, but we are distinct from one another. And also Arius got into some, you know, you would get into like the sun being a creature. And there's a quote, Tony talks about this uh, in Reformed Brotherhood episode from a while ago where they talked about Arianism, where there, there's a quote from Arius that, they try to stumble over the translation because it's awkward. Mm-hmm. It, there was when he was not referring to Jesus. And what Arius is trying to avoid saying is there was a time when he was not because he's trying to maintain the timelessness of the son, but still say that, that he didn't exist yeah. sometime yeah. relative to the father. And so, well, we see, right. we see the Jehovah's witnesses do this by creating their own sure. translation of the Bible. Right, right. They they change. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Right, right. They, so they have to actually edit the scriptures in order to deal with just, that same Justin, issue. That's because it's just missing the definite article. Come on, uh, everyone knows that. Boy, hermeneutics. <laughs> um, also, go watch. Uh, if you if you haven't seen Lutheran satire before, oh, it's so good. Go it's go so look good. up Lutheran satire. But they, you and you and I and your dad were watching the ones where they meet the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, the Jabronis Wimbledons, and they say like, <laughs> "What you know? Wait a second. So you're saying to me, and these guys are the two, you know, the, the two Irish peasants that can't read or write, but they have a perfect understanding of Greek, and they're able to break down the predicate, <laughs> predicate nominative, and all these other cases that I'm not even, you know, that's not my world. But anyways, that said. There's a lot going on there, but that brings us to the Nicene Creed. Well, before we jump in there, I just wanted to say, Fair. I think this is one of the, this is a good reminder that creeds are helpful, but 
they only go so far. Yes. Um, so, well, if you understand this creed, it's clear. However, if you're coming at it from a heretical standpoint, where you have a different sure. view already of what you believe about the, the Trinity and the, and the Godhead, uh, you can you, you, you can do eisegesis with this just like you can with the scriptures. Sure. And so it's a reminder that the creeds are helpful, the, the um, confessions are helpful, yes. but we still need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths of the scriptures, even yes. as displayed in extra-biblical stuff like this. Yes. And I did want to add, uh, around that time that the Nicene Creed was being penned and then finalized in 381, there was a word that was being used. Mm -hmm. uh, the church had to create a word. And, and it's important to note that before Nicaea, there was a different controversy that was brewing where they were collapsing the persons mm -hmm. uh, into a singular person. Right. And so the church originally, as far as I understand it, homoousios was the word, you know, similar substance was intentional, but then Arius and his followers started using what was the orthodox phrase to, to say, well, we agree with you, but we're saying something completely different by it. So the mm -hmm. church had to invent a new word, homoousios, or same substance, as opposed to homoousios, which is similar substance, which is also, the difference is literally one iota, the letter I, you know, so that's the, the iota of difference comes from this controversy. Between mm -hmm. homoousios, similar substance, and homoousios, same substance, which is the word that the church subsequently has confessed. Uh, you know, ousia being the Greek to refer to essence or, you know, ontological being. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more full-orbed than that. Like, our English doesn't really encapsulate it because Greek is a more dynamic yeah. language in many ways. But uh, that's, that's an important thing. To know as we go into reading this. So, Justin, you want to read the Nicene Creed from 3 to 1? These are just some excerpts that are immediately relevant to uh, tonight's topic. Yeah, so it says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. Mm. And you'll notice, too, with the Nicene Creed, it's it's, it's in many ways like the Apostles' Creed, yet expanded. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's quite a bit longer. It's the extended edition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that immediately made me think of Lord of the Ring. Uh, <laughs> and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And now here's the important part. God of God, light from light, very God of very God, or in other translations, true God of true God, yeah. begotten, not made. Mm. All right. Right? <laughs> Being of one <laughs> substance with the Father. Almost, By yes. whom... Right. All things were made. Mm. And we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the giver of life. Important. The Holy mm -hmm. Spirit is also Lord, also giver of life. He is also to be worshipped, mm. uh, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, mm. And I believe and the Son was added a little bit later. Yeah, there's also an east-west difference when it comes yes. to the procession of the Spirit. But that's right. above but that our pay doesn't grade. change. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> change the truth of it. Uh, who, with the Father... And the Son together is to be worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. So yes. all three, one substance to be worshipped and to be glorified together. Right. Now it's important to distinguish, you know, we talk about persons and our English word person, we think of like you are a person. You are a mm -hmm. single instance of a human nature, and you are a person. I am a different person with a different individualized instance of a human nature yes. and my ontology, you know, like we are both human beings, 
Justin is not Blake and Blake is not Justin. But that applies not only to our personae, but also to our usia in the sense right. that we are separate instances of a similar usia, you right. could say. Which which does not apply to God. <laughs> right. God not being a man. Uh, what? He, he not, <laughs> right. He, he's not uh, like us. And right. so his nature allows for yes. three persons to be one essence, one substance. Another, another, if we want to get really, really technical here, which, you know, we're about to jump off the deep end here and I'm, I'm ready. Uh, we should have prefaced this episode by saying that we might accidentally say heresy because it's very easy to do very when easy. you're talking about the Trinity because we're rocking on this precipice and why is the Trinity here? Well, as a doctrine, scripture mandates monotheism, like <laughs> it is explicitly clear. And that was very much a driving force for my Unitarianism growing up was that, well, the Bible is so clear, and we'll do more episodes about this, but I want to just intro the Trinity more than talk about all of that. But the Bible is so clear that God is one. There's so many singular pronouns that refer mm-hmm. to him. Exactly the verse you just quoted, right? God is not a man. And, you know, you see all of these singular pronouns applied to God. You see this singularity, this this uh, monotheism. And so we would we want to deny all forms of tritheism, but that's exactly what the Trinity is to protect us from because what we're not Precisely. saying is that there's three gods. Precisely. And you know, we'll talk about heresy. The Mormons a really struggle with that one. Yeah, right. And so I've heard it said, you know, in a very technical way, right? You have you have the one singular essence of mm-hmm. that is God, and then you have the three subsistences or persons. But as we've talked about in previous episodes where we kind of highlighted divine simplicity, right? We're not saying that they're each like 33.333 repeating percent of God. They're right. all fully God. <laughs> yeah. And they are and they are distinguished from each other, right? Because what happens when we get to the New Testament, and if you trace the Old Testament, you can see it. It's alluded to. But when you get to the New Testament, you get the revelation. Jesus is described in divine terms. The Spirit is described in divine terms. The Father is described in divine terms. And these three relate to each other. And they do different things in time. Yes. And yet they all possess divine uh, honors. They have divine attributes. They're named by divine names. They do divine deeds. And they sit in the divine throne. So that's really important to bear in mind. So so New Testament, you know, the, the, the Bible is emphatic. There is one God. We worship one God. But the New Testament is also emphatic in the deity yes. of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so what do we have to do? We have to set up barriers beyond which we dare not go. Because once we step outside of those, we very quickly veer into tritheism, we veer into Unitarianism, we veer into modalism or partialism. And we'll get into those a little bit later on, probably next week. I don't know if we'll have time for heresy yeah, this week. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that said, there's a few excerpts here from the 6th century document called the Athanasian Creed, which again, not written by Athanasius, but helpful for <laughs> us. Um, do you want to read just the first statement there and I can read the, the yeah. next one? It starts off with, we worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity, in unity, mm. neither confounding the persons, important, nor dividing yes. the essence, also important. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, and the majesty co-eternal. So there's no mistaking (laughs) that all are God, yet all are distinct persons. Yes. Um, And I think this, we've talked about God's attributes quite a bit. (laughs) If we understand God's attributes and recognize how incredibly 
far we are from God uh, in regards to our ability to understand uh, truly his nature. This becomes a lot easier to recognize uh, because it is in in many ways to us will always be a divine mystery how this can be. But God has revealed himself as such. And so we must accept it. Um, and it's it's ultimately not that complicated to understand from a we recognize this is how it is point of view. Um, right. And so while we may not understand how it works uh, fully, um, right. the scriptures tell us everything we need, not everything that we want to know. Right. Um, and praise God that someday in glory we will understand. Mm. Amen. I'm looking for a very specific quote right now. Using that Lagos action? Yeah, boy. But I'm forgetting the quote, so... Speaking of Lagos... Speaking of Lagos, uh, Justin, <laughs> tell us more. Uh, speaking of Lagos, uh, thank you uh, to Lagos9, uh, because uh, our episode is sponsored by such. Um, oh. Yes, they, they have sponsored us, and if you guys want to check out the coolest Bible software that there is... Uh, out there at this moment, a huge collection of hundreds mm. of books, uh, commentaries, um, everything you could possibly want to know about the Greek and the and the Hebrew. Um, if you want uh, word study tools, uh, sermon prep, you name it, uh, check out Lagos 9. It is an incredible, incredible software. Um, actually, if you go onto our Facebook page, facebook.com, uh, join the Distilling Theology group or just check out the page. You can actually watch. We live streamed with Lagos uh, one a friend of ours um, who who works there, and uh, he goes through all the features, um, or not all the features that would take forever, but he goes through a, a large number of the features, uh, all the important ones that uh, might be really helpful. So go check that out. And if you guys want a discount on it, head over to lagos.com/slash/distillingtheology. You can save ten percent and get five free books. So check mm. it out. Um, yeah. Anyhow. This is the way. Back to our regular scheduled programming. That's it. So there's a quote from Gregory of Nazianzus that I was trying to remember and I couldn't, I, I was, I had it wrong in my head. So that's why I couldn't find it quickly. But he says <laughs> of this doctrine, I cannot think of the one without quickly being encircled by the splendor of the three, nor can I discern the three without being straightway carried back to the one. So the important point there, right? God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. If we, if we focus too far one side or the other of this doctrine, we end up in a problem. Like, like the more we reflect on the three persons or subsistences of God, the more we're driven back to the unity of God. And the more we reflect on his unity, the more we should be driven back to his Trinity. And that's really important, right? And that brings us to the next line of the Athanasian Creed uh, in this excerpt here. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made, not created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one father, not three fathers, and one son, not three sons, and one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And Justin, you have that third line there that I quoted from uh, the Athanasian Creed, because the Athanasian Creed is pretty lengthy, and I just wanted to get a few of these summary statements in here. Yeah, so, and in this Trinity, none is before or after another, 
none is greater, or none less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. So there's also statements in here that I would recommend everyone go to Reform Standards, look up the Athanasian Creed, because what they'll say is, right, that, you know, the, the Father is, is omniscient, and the Son is omniscient, and the Spirit is omniscient, yet there are not three omnisciences, but one omniscience, right? right. <laughs> the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Spirit is Lord, but there are not three Lords, but one Lord. And the Creed is very helpful in this way because it parses out a way to reflect upon the doctrinal standards that we, sure. that we hold to here. Um, well, I, th- I think Christ's nature as a man throws is a, part of what throws a lot of people off. Sure. Right? They have a massive misunderstanding of the hypostatic union. They don't know <laughs> how he can be both fully man and fully God. Right. And so therefore they throw out the Trinity with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a grave mistake, obviously. Um, uh, right. One that will in fact damn your soul uh, if you get this wrong. So mm-hmm. you can get every part of doctrine wrong. Or right, you can get every part of your doctrine right, but if you get Christ and you get the Trinity wrong, it's wrong enough to be in hell forever. Mm. So incredibly important doctrine. It is. And on that note, within our own confessional standards, right? Within the Reformed world, I, I just pulled these very briefly from reformstandards.com. You have the second Helvetic Confession from 1562. Article 3 speaks of the doctrine of the Trinity. The mm-hmm. Belgic Confession of Faith from 1566, Articles 8 through 11 are about this doctrine. The Westminster Confession of Faith in 1646, Chapter 2, Article 3, expounds on the Trinity. The Savoy Declaration, 1658, Chapter 2, Article 3, also does it. And, you know, for, for our Baptists to represent here, uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 2, Article 3, states what, Justin? <laughs> it says, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, mm. important difference. Yes. Uh, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, Mm. but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of tr- the Trinity is the foundation mm. of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. Mm. Incredibly, incredibly beautifully written here, obviously, but yeah, uh, I love, I love that the foundation yes. of all our communion with God. I mean, without that, right. We're doomed. <laughs> Indeed. And, and go read, you know, go to Banner of Truth and get the pocket Puritan copy of John Owen's Communion with God, mm. where in which work he speaks on this very doctrine. And he says, you know, we come to the Father, we come to the Spirit, we come to the Son in communion. And it's just beautifully written. I'm not even going to try to like sum it, summarize it. Just go read it for yourself because Owen is the man. Um, we are running towards the end of our time here, but I just wanted to encourage everybody you know go to reform standards look these up and then go to the verse references right like we should understand where these texts are are coming from and you know just as a by way of quickly skimming right we have first first john 5 7 matthew 28 19 right baptizing them in the singular name of Mm -hmm. the father the son and the holy spirit 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, Exodus 3, 14, John 14, 11, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and John 1, 18, sorry, John 1, 14, John 1, 18, um, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, that whole section. John 1 is just yeah. incredibly beautiful. Uh, John 15, 26, and Galatians 4, 6. It's really important, as Justin has emphasized, to, to study this doctrine, and, and I think in my own experience, journeying from denying the Trinity to now embracing it, and not just embracing, but but really finding great comfort in this doctrine mm-hmm. uh, and, and knowing God. If we're wrestling with this, it's okay, but we need to be digging into what the text of Scripture says. And these creeds and confessions and these, these books, like the ones I have behind me, are tools to help us do that. Uh, you know, but ultimately the Scripture is our source. And so... You know, we can we can quote creeds and confessions all day, but if we don't have the scripture, you know, we're we're not going there. But you and I aren't confessing these creeds and confessions because they were confessed by other people, but because we believe mm. they summarize what the scriptures teach. And yeah, that's really important to to make note of. And uh, so, Justin, we've got some some recommended reading uh, down at the bottom. I don't know if you had anything. I just had some notes here for for people if they wanted to to start reading on this topic, but I had a couple like introductory books and then some stuff that was not so introductory, but I don't know if you had any thoughts uh, outside of that list. Yeah, no, this, this looks good. I mean, obviously uh, I will throw in um, the forgotten Trinity oh, by yes. James White. Yep. Brilliant. Um, we have delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves yes. introduction to the Trinity by Scott Swain, um, Matthew Barrett's simply or simple Trinity. And um, then of course the creeds, the confessions, which you can get at reformstandards.com if you don't, I have a copy already. Right. Uh, De Trinitates by Augustine. You know, if you want to be um, a real nerd, go <laughs> go for it. It's, yeah. it's pretty epic. Yeah. And then, of course, we have uh, Bobbing's Reform Dogmatics. Um, or really, any good, solid systematic theology should, at least in some way, touch on this. Otherwise, is it really a systematic theology? Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so check those out. For sure. For sure. And next week, uh, we're going to obviously be picking this up because there's no way we're going to get through all this tonight because we wanted to talk about heresy, like, you know, specifically Trinitarian heresies, not necessarily the strictly Christological ones, because that gets into Chalcedonian definition and we're moving in a different direction. But there's obviously overlap like Arianism overlaps, um, but Arianism is the impetus for the Council of Nicaea. So Mm. that's really important. Um, I'm sad this is gone. This is delicious. I know it's so good. You just have to pick some up. But uh, You know, uh, so we're going to be talking about the Trinity next week. And Justin, what are we what are we going to be sipping? Yeah, uh, we're going to be tasting a something that neither one of us had really heard of until we picked up a sample of it. Uh, El Silencio Espadín Mezcal. Nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It looks uh, interesting. It's got a really cool blacked out bottle there. Um, should be interesting. I haven't had a Mezcal in a hot second. Uh, I'm excited to, to try it. Indeed, indeed. And. If you guys are looking for recommendations for books, for whiskey, you can follow us on Instagram uh, at Distilling Theology. We're not posting quite as regularly because we've both been a little bit chaotic right now, but we are getting back onto that schedule. So stay tuned for those. Also, join us on our Facebook group. We have really lively discussions. We close every Lord's stage, Day. Stage, stage. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's awesome. Um, it's It's been really, really a huge blessing to me. And yes. it's been fun to see the conversation Likewise. continue there, even if we are in the midst of, uh, you know, Newton Gate. Ah, get those out of here. <laughs> uh, and also you can follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash distilling theology. 
Um, so that is that. Now it is time to announce the winner dun, dun, of our dun, latest dun. giveaway. Uh, we're Drum giving away roll, please. a copy of Dr. Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, provided for us by Crossway, as well as one of these nifty uh, distilling theology quote mugs with a quote from Herman Bavink. Uh, it says, man is an enigma whose solution can only be found in God. This is and a super long drum roll. <laughs> drum roll, please. And the winner is Carl Rogers. What's up, man? Old friend of mine who's listening to the podcast. Uh, yeah, boy. Thanks, man. That's really exciting. I hope you enjoy the book. I know Carl is into philosophy and culture, so this will be a great Oh, day, it's going to be fire. fire. You're, you're excited, man. Truman is the bomb. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who entered. There will be more giveaways uh, in the coming weeks because we've got some more guests coming on, and uh, it's yeah, going to be crazy. There will be blood. There will That's what be. It made so me think of. congratulations. Yeah, so congratulations. Um, you are thoroughly going to enjoy this book. It's fantastic. Uh, and you should watch our episode with Carl because it's great. This is it. This is um, the way. Yeah. Also, somehow, some way, we have not lost our awesome status as proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Seeker Star, Restless, Sippin' on Theology, Steady Anchor, and the Particular Baptist Podcast. Head over to reformedpodcasts.com to get all these shows, the back catalog of all of them, and you will never run out of delicious, wonderful, uh, savory podcast content uh, for your commutes and... Uh, daily chores and justin if people want more distilling theology if they want to see our faces if they want to see our blunders and and uh you know the interruptions and all the fun and uh get opportunities for q a's with our guests where can they go yeah guys if you want to see me during allergy season looking like a goon uh check us out on patreon.com slash distilling theology uh, for 4.99 a month you can get exclusive early content early releases video content you get um a discount on our Distilling Theology store. You get uh, unedited, raw, extended conversations uh, that you otherwise will never hear. And uh, some of our best content, not going to lie. So this is it. check us out, patreon.com, four ninety nine a month. It's less than the cost of mm, um, a $5 footlong at Subway because, the uh, you, know, you know what? The prices have gone up. So, so much for that. Uh, you don't need it anyway. Come over, join us, uh, fill your ears with the good stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be happy to have you join the family. Also, at fourteen ninety nine a month, you'll get a sweet patron only mug after three months, um, and it's cool. Go. And it's got a mustache, uh, just like Eric. So mustache, you definitely want that. <laughs> so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. 